Okay, so they're reading Psalm 62, which is found on page 604 of most of the Pew Bibles. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down, this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honour depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Low-born men are but a breath. The high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. That you, O Lord, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. Oh, good evening, friends. It's good to be back and good to see you all again. Uh, I do want to ex- extend my thanks to you for your prayers. It was uh, greatly appreciated and also for your care of Yvonne and the kids while I was away. Uh, we really appreciate that. Um, well, we're going to look at this psalm, uh, a very important psalm and hopefully a comforting psalm for all of us. But let's pray once more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this psalm and consider the words of David, we pray that as they were words of comfort for him, that they too may be words of comfort for us tonight. We pray, Lord, that you will work in our hearts, cut to our hearts, that we might see that you are the God who is our refuge, the God who is our rock, the God in whom we find salvation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've just returned from this crazy study tour. It was study, hard work, uh, Turkey, a bit of Greece as well. And it was really quite a spectacular experience, wonderful experience. And so I thought it would be right to show you some photos. I'm sure you're looking forward to this. Well, things we got up to on this tour. Uh, we got up in a hot air balloon in Cappadocia. That was a photo taken by me, not somewhere off Google, but by me. We were up there, it was Beautiful, spectacular the views up there. Um, something a bit strange, it was a bit romantic, but Yvonne wasn't there, so, you know, <laughs> nice, but Yvonne wasn't there. What we also got to do, oh, that was part of the study. Cappadocia, the place of the church fathers, very important uh, biblical teaching coming from that place. Uh, the, the other thing we did was uh, we got on a boat on the Mediterranean, went along the the shore and we saw waterfalls and we thought we'd jump in and go for a swim as well. It was part of the study tour and the justification was that that was the very port Paul left from at the end of his first missionary journey so that justified we should get on a boat too and go for a swim in the Mediterranean. Again, very romantic but Yvonne wasn't there but anyway, a bit strange. We also got to do this. We were in this place where there were hot springs, natural hot springs and so we got to enjoy that dark murky water that's very hot and we got to enjoy that late one night it was cold the air was cold the water was hot 
again with some other blokes. You know, it was sort of romantic, but not really. Yvonne wasn't there. But just in case you were thinking this study tour was all fun, it was hard work. We visited five of the seven churches out of Revelation. We visited the ancient Roman cities of Corinth, of Athens, of Aspendos, of Heropolis, and many, many, many other cities, over 20 in total. And, and along with doing that, we went through many churches, many basilicas, seeing how the Christians, the early Christians, worshipped. We saw many theatres at these ancient sites. We walked through these places. So some photos there, that's... Uh, Corinth, the temple to Apollos, uh, that's Athens, a theatre there. This is Aspendos, another theatre. And then a Heropolis, ruins, stones, rocks, marble. And what else do I have? That's it. Many others. And so we, we had this wonderful experience, but it was hard work. Hard work. I, I actually did some work on the bus as well. This is me on the bus working. I actually posed. I asked my friend, can you take a photo of me? I'm going to use this. So here we go. But apart from all that, all the flights, the long bus trips, the boat cruise, the hours of walking through these old Roman sites, by the end of each day, after visiting ruins after ruins after ruins, we were ruined out, if you know what I mean. Another excavation, another Roman column, another half-standing Roman bath, another theatre, and then another column, another stone, another rock on the ground. And so by the end of each day, we were all feeling we need a rest. We need a break. We were looking forward to getting back to our five-star hotel with buffet dinners so that we could relax, refresh and rest. But you see, that rest... It was short-lived because the very next morning, very early on, we need our luggage packed, luggage out the door, breakfast on the bus and often waking up at crazy hours like 5 a.m. And then we were off on the bus to another ruin, another site, seeing more and more and more. And after about two weeks, I was feeling it's time to go home. We weren't home yet, but I was feeling this is tiring, this is exhausting, this study, it is a tough life, despite all those hotels and dinners. And so I was starting to look forward to coming home, to being with the family, to to seeing these screaming kids, to being in my own bed and to rest, to rest. And that happened Thursday night when I got back. But you know what? That rest, like the tour, the rest we enjoyed each night, that rest coming home was short-lived. Because you know what? I'm back here on Sunday to preach to you guys, to prepare this sermon, to see you. I was longing for that, but... Rest is long gone. Rest is long gone. You see, we all long for rest, don't we? In a deep longing for real, genuine rest. Rest from work. Rest from study. Rest from a study tour. Rest from the noisiness and busyness of this world. Just quietness. Just peace. Just rest. But this is the inner longing, this inner longing for peace, for rest that we desire and what we'll be considering today. This psalm of David shows us where to find this rest that we long for, that we desire. Not just rest for the mind, mental exhaustion, I just watch TV, that that gets me uh, resting my mind. Not just rest for the body, physical exhaustion, just just go to sleep or use some Turkish baths, which we did. But rest for the soul, 
rest for the soul. But how do you get rest for the soul? What does it mean to get rest for the soul? Well, whatever it is, wouldn't you want to have it? Well, that is this psalm. And so let's have a look. In this psalm, we consider King David. Many of you would know the great King David. His life was this underdog story, two-hero story, from small teenage uh, youngster to mighty warrior. It was a story from rags to riches, from this poor shepherd boy to mighty king over Israel. And it was also a story, a fall from grace story, from the great palace of Jerusalem and to being chased out and scavenging for food. That was King David. You see, King David, his life was really at the both extremes, the lowest of lows to the highest of highs, and then from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. He experienced everything we could imagine, low lows, high highs. It, it, there, were, there were people who were even after his life, King Saul, his enemies, and even his own flesh and blood. His own son wanted him dead. Imagine experiencing that from the greatest heights of being king over Israel and to being chased away from your palace by your own son who wants you dead. And so this David, you just imagine his sadness that he's experienced, his loneliness, his despair, but yet his great joy. Lowest lows, highest highs. And so thinking about David's life, this king, how do you stay normal? How do you stay sane? How do you navigate through lives if, if they are your experiences? How do you feel secure? How do you feel safe? How do you experience peace with such a life? How do you experience rest with such a life? You see, rest, David wanted that. Graham Colwin, an Australian theologian, he says, this is the greatest need of all humanity. In all the noisiness and busyness of life and of this world, all of us, our greatest need is to experience peace, shalom, rest between people and with God. That is our greatest need, to be forgiven to be restored, to be refreshed, to be cleansed, to be saved, to experience rest in its fullest sense. And that's what we want, isn't it? That is what what we want. This is our inner longing. You see, life can be so exhausting if you think about life. Just thinking about it makes makes me tired. It's restless. Life can be normal for a while, but then the exam comes, the assignment the deadline, the car accident, the bill, the sickness. And then there are other things that that crowds life, the date, the party, the weddings, the people to please, people to impress, people to make happy. And it can all become so and so exhausting. And then you consider the world around us, how exhausting it is to consider the world and what it goes through. It saps energy from us. The world can be so restless so dangerous, so frightening. People hurting people, nations fighting, wars raging. Now, after travelling to Turkey, I was confronted by the lack of peace in that part of the world anyway. There was the Syrian crisis, a big problem in Turkey. A huge problem meant tourism dropped by 75%. The terrorist attacks in Istanbul and Ankara. And we noticed that when we went through the streets of 
of Turkey. You see armed military holding their big guns. Uh, uh, And I actually took a photo of where one of the bombs took off in Istanbul. Happened on that corner. You see police officers, big guns, machine guns. And and as we travel through Turkey on the bus, we were stopped many times by police officers going for a check because it was not safe. There is no peace. There is no rest in that country. Through many hotels at the entrance, many shopping centres, you have to go through metal detectors. And so when we consider our world, so much turmoil, we want peace. We want rest. And our world cries out for it. And David in this psalm, he knows where to get it. And so here, what do we hear? We hear him declare with great confidence, it is in God alone, not in people, not in his powers, not in his palace, not in his wives, not in his children. It is in God alone where true and lasting rest is to be found. Spiritual rest, rest for the soul. And so have a look with me, verses 1 and 2. David goes on to say, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Do you see the image that David is painting for us here? God is rock solid and completely dependable. Not his wives, not his children, not his nation, not his powers, but God. He is the one who gives rest. He is the one who gives salvation. He is the one who gives peace. Now, just so you know that my tour was worthwhile, I've got another illustration from my tour. You know, that tour was really all about collecting illustrations. Every, every Roman ruin we visited, you see rubbles of stone and marble, uh, buildings all fallen over on the ground, columns on its side, temples and theatres half, half standing. But they were all built on solid rock foundation. And even though because of earthquakes many of these buildings have collapsed, toppled over, you still see uh, under many of these rubble the foundation the very location they were laid, still there, the foundation still stands. And so the foundation, unshakable. But the buildings weren't. They all toppled over because of earthquake. But you see, what David's telling us here, for those who rest in God, who stand on God the rock, who rely on God, who depend on him, who trust in God, not only is the foundation firm, but they stand firm as well. They stand unshakable. They stand immovable. No earthquake will topple over those who rest in God. And so David in this psalm, as confidently as possible, my rest, my soul finds rest in God alone. And so if you understand what David is saying in these first two verses, you can then understand why David could be so bold as to say what he does next to declare how futile it is for his enemies to try to topple him. If God is on his side, if God is rock solid and he stands on God, no amount of assault or opposition can cause him to topple. And so we see this. David's almost taunting here. Look at verses 3 and 4. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down, this leaning wood, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take the light in lies. With their mouths they bless, but with, in their hearts they curse. 
Now, now thinking about enemies, I suspect it's hard for us here living in this country what it means to have enemies of Christ, enemies of Christians living in a country like this. But you see, in, in parts of the world, the assault on Christians is fierce. It's even deadly. Martyrs for Christ have not stopped dying since the first century. Martyrs for Christ still die. On one of the Sundays on our tour, we were in the port city of Antalya. Beautiful city. It was the port city where Paul did leave at the end of his first missionary journey. Our plan that Sunday was to visit the international church in the old city of Antalya, the St. Paul's Union Church. But the, the day before arriving in Antalya, the day before arriving at that church, the police informed that church that there's possible danger at that church. It was known to be a Christian meeting place. They, they don't call it a church. They call it this um, union centre, St. Paul's Union Centre. But anyway, our tour leader told us, um, we're going to be in this, this beautiful place. We'll stay at this hotel. The church is walking distance from this hotel. Um, and honestly, that's perhaps the most dangerous place in this city. The most dangerous place. And so all of you on this tour, you have the option to not go to church tomorrow. That's, that's your choice. But anyway, we all chose to go. Over 30 of us, we went to the morning service, joined with our brothers and sisters in Christ in that place, and it was wonderful. We sang together, we prayed together, we heard the word of God read and taught, and it was thoroughly encouraging to join with these Christians in Turkey. But outside the church, there were these undercover police guarding the church, guarding us. I mean, that is frightening, isn't it? Just imagine that, us here singing, praying, reading the Bible, hearing a sermon, and there are guards outside just to protect us. What are we going to do? But that was the situation there. But you see, we, we understood this psalm. God is my rock. God is our rock. What's going to happen to us? God keeps us safe. And so David here, he can say, even in the face of opposition, he was at rest. Now, because that's such an important point, David again repeats it almost verbatim. Look at verses 5 to 7. Find rest, O my soul. He's teaching himself, he's preaching to himself. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honour depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. But now his attention in this psalm turns to everyone else. He's just reminding himself, God is my rock. Now he turns to his listeners. And in one sense, he turns to us as we read it. He turns to us and look at verses 8 to 9. He says, you too need to find rest in God. It's not just for me. It's for you as well. Verse 9, trust in him at all times. It's sort of like an exhortation. Trust in God, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Lowborn men are but a breath. The highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Trust in God, you people. Trust in God. Don't trust in people. People are fleeting. They come, they go. Their life will end. Do not trust in any people, any person. Trust in God alone. And so when you see this, what David is setting up for us is this amazing contrast. God the rock. 
the solid rock, people but a breath. God the rock, people but a breath. Who do you choose to trust in? God the solid foundation or people who are but a breath? Well, the answer is meant to be obvious. You're meant to go for God. Trust in him. Now, David goes on here in this psalm. He urges, don't just um, not trust in people as your saviour, but don't trust in people's wealth as well. Wealth will not give you the rest you desire, that you long for. Look at verse 10. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. And so David's making clear, your rest, your satisfaction, your peace can only be found in God alone. Not in anyone, not in anything, not even wealth, as, as seductive as it is. Now, just so we understand how seductive wealth is, on the plane back, still another illustration there, I'm using them. It's worthwhile, this tour. On the plane back from Istanbul, I watched a movie on the plane called The Big Shot. Some of you may have seen that. It's a movie based on the global financial crisis of 20, uh, 2007 and 2008. It's a fascinating account of what happened. It, it was really a fascinating account of the greed of humanity, the greed of the regulators, the greed of the government, the greed of these investment bankers and the greed of ordinary people. They were so interested in getting richer and richer without considering the consequences at all. And so dodgy loans were signed up, offered, people took them, and the housing crisis, which led to this economic crisis. And it's shocking to learn how greedy people just are. We hold on to wealth and to money like it's our saviour, like it will give us peace, like it will give us the rest we really desire. And so in the end, what happened? Well, 8 million people, this is in the US alone, 8 million people lost their jobs, 6 million people lost their homes. That's just in, a, in America. And because of that, many, in fact, did commit suicide. But you see, if you remember back then, Australia was also affected. There's a large denomination in Australia that lost over $100 million because of the GFC. But... David's making clear to us, wealth will not ultimately satisfy. It cannot create the rest we long for and desire. And so David makes clear here, my soul, my soul finds rest in God alone. He is my rock and my fortress, and so he should be your rock and your fortress as well. But now the big question remains, why could David be so confident about God? What did he know about God that we should know as well? What is it about the God of the Bible that makes him so dependable, so trustworthy? Well, you see, if you think about a a dependable God, a God you can trust in, that's in fact quite unique, unique to the God of the Bible. You see, when you consider the gods of the ancient world, those gods were not reliable at all. They were not dependable let alone loving and caring and concerning. They were capricious. For example, take one of the gods of the ancient world, the Ammonite god, Molech. This is the god of the land. You want to please this god. You want to satisfy him. You want him to, be, uh, to act favourably towards you. You want him to withhold his judgement from you. How do you please this god? 
Well, with Molech, you sacrifice your child to this god. I mean, the gods of the ancient world, they're not, they were not trustworthy at all. But the God of the Bible is different. David knows this God to be different. Utterly trustworthy. Utterly dependable. And so David now tells us why. What is it about the God of the Bible that makes him so dependable? Well, it tells us two things in these final verses. God is both powerful. Powerful and God is loving. Powerful and loving. You see, if God is powerful but not loving then you could not approach such a God. He might turn on you. And if God is loving but powerless, weak, then even if he wants to help you, he's powerless to do so. And you cannot trust in such a God. But because the God of the Bible is both powerful and loving, he's not only able to help, but he's willing to help. He's not only able to save, but he's willing to save. And so David makes this clear in our final verses, verse 11 and 12. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard, that you, O God, are strong, that is, is powerful, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. God is powerful, sovereign. God is loving. David knew that. David wants us to know that. We need to know that. That is why God is dependable, trustworthy. That is why God can be our rock and fortress. And so that's the psalm, Psalm 62. We've come to the end. We've got an insight into the comfort. Remember David's life, the lowest lows and the highest highs. But yet David, though he he experienced these things, he was able to navigate through life with comfort, with security, with refuge, with peace, with rest. And so as we reflect on his life, let us now reflect on our life. You see, our experiences in life will be different to David's. We will have our low times, we will have our high times, we will have everything in between. Our walks in life will be different. But you know what? Our needs, our deepest needs are the same as David's. We were made by the same God. We were made by the same God to enjoy him and to enjoy rest in him. David found that and we need that. It's no wonder why a great theologian of the, of the 4th century, Augustine, 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 he said these profound words. You, talking about God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. You know that cliche saying, you in a sense have a God-shaped hole in your heart and only God can feel that? Well, that's what he was trying to say. And it is true, we can only find genuine, lasting rest in God. And the wonderful news is, when we turn to the pages of the New Testament, what do we find? Well, we find that invitation to rest, open for all. Now, in our first reading, Jesus, what he said, he invites everyone to come. In, in Matthew 11, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus offers the rest that David experienced. And this is the wonderful Christian message. Jesus entered into our human experience, into our pain, 
into our suffering, into the betrayal that we experience, into sorrow and grief. And so no one can in fact say to God, God, you do not understand my pain. You do not understand my heartache. You do not understand my sorrow, my grief, my loneliness. But God's answer is, yes, I do. I understand all those things. Jesus experienced all those things. He came bearing the burden of this broken world. He came bearing the punishment that sinners like you and me deserve. And he came bearing even the death that we all must face. And so Jesus can say these words. Come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus crushed the curse of death as we'll sing later. And so there's no more need for us to work for heaven, to earn heaven, to merit heaven. Jesus offers that to us. There's no need to work to become righteous. Jesus offers that to us. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Now, do you see how significant this is for us now? Whether you are Christian or not, whether you've been coming to church for a long time or for a short time, this is significant for us today as we navigate through all of life's ups and downs, through all the pressures and stresses and noisiness and busyness of life. Do you see how significant this is for life now? But do you also see how significant this is for when life comes to an end, to have the comfort, the security, the assurance, the peace, the rest from knowing that God is my rock. Now, I'd like you to do something for me now. I want you to consider your life package. What are all your responsibilities and burdens? What are all your relationships? It's a rat race, ever running, ever pleasing, ever succeeding, ever achieving, ever performing, ever improving, ever impressing. And then to make it worse, There are times of sadness. Those times will come. Times of sorrow. Times of mourning, of illness, of weariness, of loneliness, of stress, of pressure, of heartache and of endless noise and busyness. No amount of holidaying will solve that. No amount of study tours will solve that. No amount of weekends or public holidays will solve that. Jesus solves that. He says, come to me and I'll give you rest. You see how significant that is? Just consider your life package. Your life package. My life package is, is that I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a brother, I serve as a minister, I'm a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, I'm a citizen of Australia, and if I consider all those relationships, my life package, stacks of responsibilities from all directions, Stacks of burdens that I must bear from all directions and it weighs me down. How do I live? How do I go on? How do I do it? How can I ever manage to depend on me? How can I carry me up? Well, the good news is that you don't have to. I don't have to because God carries me. He is my rock. I stand on him. And so even if I don't do well, Even if I fail, my Bible studies, they're the boringest Bible study you've ever experienced. My sermons, they're the longest and most terrible you've ever heard. My partial visit makes you cry all the time and it's just terrible. What do I do? 
I can rest securely in God who loves me still. Even if I stumble, make mistakes as a husband, as a father, as a minister, I can rest securely in God who will never forsake me. Even when I die one day, when that day comes, I can rest securely in God who saves me. Do you see that type of life? Shoulders lightened, burdens broken, there's relief, there's peace, there's rest. And it's no wonder why when you read the stories of Christians, the stories of martyrs, how so many Christians can be so bold, so resolute, so rock solid in their faith because God is their rock. And I'll end with this today, this story. When ISIS swept through Iraq towards the end of 2014, it was just beyond understanding how any Christian, when faced by these terrorists, when faced by these people who wanted them dead by the Islamic State, how they could face them, how could they stand, how could they stand resolute. In one of these stories, Caden Andrew White, known as the Vicar of Baghdad, he reported this horrifying story. Four young Christians... They were threatened. They they came to their town. And these terrorists said to these four young Christians, say the words that you will follow Muhammad. Say it. That was a threat. These four, they refused. Refused to convert to Islam. Refused to deny Christ. Instead, they said this. No, we love Yeshua. We have always loved Yeshua. We have always always loved and followed Yeshua. Yeshua has always been with us. That was their answer. They stood unshakable. They stood resolute. They stood up even against these people who wanted them dead. And you know what happened? These four, younger than most of us here, all under 15, what happened? Well, their heads were chopped off. Why do you think those four Christians could be so bold to face these people who wanted them dead. Well, because they knew this truth, this psalm. God was their rock. They found rest in God, in life and even in death. And so in the end, for us to remember, to reflect on, we all long, this is our deepest longing, to find rest in this life and the next. And the invitation is for all. Jesus says, come. Come and I will give you rest. Will you come if you have not yet? Will you come? Well, my prayer is that you will. My prayer is that you will. So let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the amazing offer of finding rest in you that you are indeed the rock and the fortress and our salvation and hope. And so, Lord, I do pray for these beloved friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we will always come to Jesus to find rest, to stand firm on you, our foundation, and to know that we have rest in you in this life and the next. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.